listening to Story City Church in Granada Hills, California. We exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and with others. And here is this week's message. And so we're going to go into a time now in God's word. And so when we transition into God's word, we like to stand because we say this is now the time of the reading of God's word and the proclamation of God's word, which is an important thing for us because we like to be under the scriptures so that we don't, we don't say that people or man-made identity or man-made religion describes, describes who God is. We believe that God's word describes who God is. And that's why we do that. So we stand together so that we can read God's word. So if you can do that with me, we're going to read God's word. God's word together for today's scripture before we go into the word today. Uh, at Story City, we are big believers on developing, training, discipling apprentices of Jesus, and we do that several ways, um, but one of the ways is through our elder candidacy. We, we believe in training and developing pastors and leaders, um, and today we have the privilege of having Stephen, one of our elder candidates, preach for us, preach God's word for us. Um, yeah, and so I want to read today's passage as he uh, blesses us with God's word this morning. It's going to be in Luke 15, 20 through 32. After I finish reading, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and you're going to say, thanks be to God. All right. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son who was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked, what, are the, what do these mean? And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fan calf because he has received him back and safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who was devoured, uh, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all, is, all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, dude. Hey, hey. Good morning. 
Good morning, Story City. It's really good to see you all here. Um, normally, I'm standing at the back of the room uh, doing things, so to get to see everybody's faces at once, it's a, it's a new experience. So uh, I'm not nervous at all. Um, it's just happy to see you. I'm so glad to see some familiar faces, and even a few faces I remember seeing last night at the uh, Trunk or Treat. Thanks for coming back, and uh, thank you for trusting me with your children when they were in the bounce house. Um, they, they did wonderfully. Um, <laughs> They, they did. They really did. Um, so anyways, if I haven't gotten a chance over the past few weeks to introduce myself to you face-to-face, my name is Stephen Sandridge. Um, I am the Sunday Service Coordinator here at Granada, Granada Hills, and I'm really glad you've chosen to spend your Sunday with us as we continue a series that we started last week uh, on the Father's Heart. Last week we looked at how Jesus shatters categories and how he shatters our view of religion, but this week we're going to look at the Father's heart toward his children and how that has played out in the Father's relationship to not one, but two lost sons in the parable of the prodigal son. So before we get started, uh, please just pray with me uh, and we will, we will get this thing unpacked together. Lord, uh, thank you for the day that you have given us. Thank you for all the blessings that you bestow upon us, uh, even maybe when we don't take time to notice that. And uh, just thank you for your love, for your grace, and for your persistent pursuit of our hearts. Um, when we don't see it and uh, when we've made a mess of ourselves or we think we have too good of a handle on things and don't need you, that you are patient with us, that you love us, you break through to us and you welcome us back. And man, when you welcome us back, you rejoice. And so Lord, we are thankful and grateful to get to rejoice for those same reasons today. And I just ask that you would bless the time of the preaching of your word, that people would hear you, hear clearly what you're trying to communicate to us so that you can continue to draw us all to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the book of Luke, that's where we are and that's where we're gonna be parked for a while for a few weeks, so get comfortable. Um, there are a series of parables in Luke 15. So um, Jesus is hanging out with sinners, which is what he likes to do, thank God, right? Because that was all of us, right? Um, and the Pharisees, the, the uh, highly religious people, the highly educated and trained people um, weren't too cool with that. Uh, they were very judgmental about the company that Jesus chose to keep. And so they're asking questions out loud about why is this guy hanging out with sinners? Like what, who, who does he think he is, you know? And uh, Jesus just answers by, by telling them a story, um, which I didn't write this part down, but I really love that Jesus would just like play with somebody to tell them a story. I was like, oh, you, you want to, okay, I already see what you're asking. Let me, let me answer you in a reference to something else because I, if you get to know me for five minutes, um, I'll try to tell you something with a movie reference probably. And uh, that's gonna happen later today, just letting you guys know. Um, so I just, it makes me not feel so alone about that quirk of my personality that Jesus would use storytelling to make a point um, and what a point he's making here today. Um, 
there's three parables that he tells. Uh, the parable, what we typically refer to as the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and what we're focusing on today um, and the next few weeks is the parable of the prodigal son, which, um, Samir, I'm glad you pointed this out last week. I want to bring it up again. Uh, the word prodigal, a little embarrassed here, been in church almost my whole life and always understood the phrase prodigal son to mean the guy who left and, and, and you know, went, was, was wayward, um, abandoned the family. Um, honestly, he was just a reckless spender. So uh, let that convict or not convict you as it goes, because as I understood that, that he took what he had and he just wasted all of what was given to him um, is the descriptor of that younger brother. And um, that's what we're going to be looking at closer today. But when Jesus uses all three of these parables to talk to the crowd there, he is, he's got a common thread. He is talking and describing a relentless pursuer who is committed and dedicated to recapturing what is lost and being overcome with celebration and rejoicing once the lost becomes found again. This is the heart of the Father who pursues us, and that is our main theme today, which is the Father loves and rejoices when we choose him. We see this theme played out, particularly with the younger brother in this story, but a closer look, we'll actually see glimpses of it with the older brother as well, and we're going to examine that some today too. But first, let's take a look at the younger brother, our first lost son, and we'll see why he is just that. So we're going to revisit the passage just a little bit here in a moment. Um, you don't have to stand up this time, because um, we're just going to roll with it. So um, anyway, so um, in Luke 15, uh, verses 11 through 24, uh, Jesus is telling the story. He he also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that I have coming to me. So he, the father, distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate and foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food and here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it, and let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Uh, so the younger brother in this story, he did not start off well. <laughs> and we will uh, we'll examine that a little bit more before I'm done today too. But once he had had the f his fill of the life that he thought he wanted, everything starts to fall apart. Um, life ultimately was not better in the far off country to which he fled. Uh, the younger brother had spent everything he had, and then he had nothing left. And 
after he spent everything he had, it was then that a famine hits the country. The younger brother was broke, and after he went broke, he got broken. The man had nothing left, and he was reduced to working in a pigsty, which, contextually speaking, would have been particularly humiliating for a Jewish man at that time. Um, in this context, he's, he's become so reduced and humbled by his circumstances. He's so starving and desperate that because of the famine, he is reduced to seeking after pig's food. But he's even denied from that, from the people that he works for. He spent every last bit of the inheritance that he demanded, and now he's lost everything twice over due to his recklessness combined with the onset of this famine in the land, which is wiping away all the resources where he's living. So he's broken. And then the parable says, then he comes to his senses, which sadly, I don't know about you, but isn't that how it kind of works sometimes for you? <laughs> I've come to my senses now that everything is gone. Um, we only come to our senses once all of our self-centered and self-designed options have failed us. This younger brother, the son of his father, he had what he needed in life, but so stubbornly decided that he knew a better way, so he severed that relationship entirely in order to get what he wanted. But now he's hit rock bottom, and that's when it occurs to him, hey, you know what, maybe, maybe I can go back. Sure, things are not going to be the same as they were, but even working for my father as a slave or an indentured servant is better than what I'm doing now. So I'll just own up to what I did wrong, ask for a job, and maybe my father will show me mercy and I can start to make this right. And I think it's important to, to recognize that his desire there um, to come back as a servant indicates that he, he was of a mindset that I, I want to pay you back from what I took from you, no matter how long it takes. Um, the moment that the younger brother makes this decision is the beginning of when things start to change. Once he has committed himself to being accountable for his actions and seeking forgiveness, he's chosen the father. When he makes this long way home, remember, he left to a far-off country, so that means he had to make the long journey home, starving and penniless. And when he returns, the father accepts him immediately and restores him to his former glory as a son. He allows the younger brother to express his remorse. Because remember, you know, we, we have in the text that the younger brother rehearsed this whole speech of what he was going to say, right? And the father only let him get halfway through it on purpose. Because he allows the younger brother to express his remorse and accountability. But he shuts down any talk of being anything other than a son again. Before the younger brother can even bring up working off his debt. So what does the younger brother show us about the father? He shows us our first observation today, which is the father loves and rejoices when we choose him now. The act of choosing the father made all the difference for his son. His past was forgiven. He was restored to his former glory. I mean, I say restored, but it was really even more so when he left because he'd already, you know, wiped out one inheritance. And coming back into the family, he's entitled to another one. Um which the older brother wasn't really cool with, but we'll get to that later. Um, the younger brother didn't return only to hear his father say, okay, well, let's work out your issues first, or uh, you're kind of a reckless spender, let, let's put you on a budget. Um, the returning son was immediately met with affection, joy, and celebration, as well as being dressed in the best that his father's house had to offer. 
Even though it was after so many mistakes and poor decisions, the younger brother recognized his place of provision and care was with the father. But what he didn't count on was that by choosing the father and returning, him to, returning to him with a repentant heart, the father was ready to shower his love and restoration of his lost son with no strings attached. The embarrassment and shame of irresponsible, wasteful, sinful living comes to die at the foot of the father. Because it was more important for the father's son to return rather than the portion of the inheritance that had been prematurely taken and spent. The key to all of this choosing and rejoicing is not rooted in rewards. It is in the relationship of a child to his father. To quote, um, be patient with me, there's a lot of syllables here. To quote Tabidi Anyabwile, he's a uh, pastor in Washington, D.C. and a council member with the Gospel Coalition. He says this regarding this passage. When the unrepentant are found and recovered by the owner of their souls, their worth and value are once again felt and affirmed by God. Heaven rejoices over every unrepentant sinner because the sinner is of great worth to God. The worst thing in the world, I want you guys to hear this part, so I'm gonna say a little bit slower, but this next is just struck me really hard, and I wanna make sure you guys understand this too. The worst thing in the world is not to be a sinner, but to be a sinner who thinks that God doesn't value you. The value God attaches to the sinner's soul is seen in the cross and the blood of the Son of God. If we turn to God, we discover that God was not out to crush us, but he was out to save us and make us his own. He goes on to say this, Repentance is beautiful because it finds God beautiful. Just as this young son now sees his father as wonderful. Heaven rejoices when God is valued. Not only does God rejoice when we choose him, all of heaven rejoices with him. That is the choice of the younger brother. So now, let's look at the choice of the older brother. By the end of the parable, the older brother is the subject of much criticism, and for good reason. But he, he wasn't always that way. Uh, so I'm going to pick back up in our passage again uh, with the parable in verses 25 through 32. Uh, verse 25, it said, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back, safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I have been slaving many years for you and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The older brother, um, as we say in my house, is uh, all up in his feelings uh, because of this celebration over his younger brother. Despite the fact that he, the older brother, was in his father's presence the entire time, even when the younger brother was absent. 
And he was blind to his father's favor and approval and the sacred existence of their relationship because his focus was harnessed in the wrong direction. A few years ago, uh, when my children were younger, uh, my mother-in-law, she came to stay with our youngest kids when my wife and I, Allison, had gone out of town. So uh, at that time, um, we and Allison's mother were living in two different states. She lived in Georgia, we were living in North Carolina. And so, um, you know, we didn't get to see each other all the time. So it was, uh, it was special for her to be able to spend time with her grandkids and our kids to be able to spend time with grandmama. So um, any parents here whose kids spend time with grandparents may know, or you yourselves may even remember from childhood memories with grandparents that uh, sometimes spoiling of the children can take place. Um, this, this was no different. Uh, so a few days after we come back home, we realized that our kids, our son in particular, had picked up uh, a bit of a preference or two that he didn't have before. Um, so one night, Allison, she's in the kitchen, she's making dinner, and um, she's cooking spaghetti, and uh, as she's doing that, she notices this uh, short little presence that has appeared next to her, staring into the pan as she's cooking. And the conversation goes a little something like this. I'm not a great impressionist, so just deal with me. Um, you know, hey, bud, what's up? What are you cooking? Spaghetti. Huh. Grandmama cuts the onions up real, real little. I like that. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Grandmama cuts the onions up real little. <laughs> real little. Okay, man, thanks. You, you can get out now. So later, we're at the dinner table. The child is now staring at his plate of food. Everything okay? Grandmama cuts the onions up real little. Real little. Grandmama's not here, but your dinner is, so it's time to eat. <laughs> um, you know, we, 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 we still laugh about that in our house now. Everybody's older and their habits are better. Um, but at the time, our child couldn't see the good thing that was right in front of him meeting his needs because, like the older brother in the parable, he was just too focused on what he thought he was owed. Um, and the way things should be were honestly just up to the discretion of the parent. The older brother in the parable was a son for all that time. But at some point, we don't really know, he became entitled to the point where he felt like the judgment seat was his to fill, and it did a number on his heart. The older brother was blind to our second observation today, which is the father loves and rejoices when we choose him daily. The older brother thought he was in good standing by never walking away from the father, or as he put it, never disobeying orders. But the following of rules was never what brought the father joy, was being his child. The older brother could never see the joy in that and despised seeing it in his younger brother upon his return. Let us not forget the original foundation that sparks these three parables in Luke 15. At the beginning of the chapter, like I said at the beginning, the Pharisees and scribes, the law followers, the older brothers here, they were whining and complaining that tax collectors, and listen, I don't get along with the IRS either, but still, you know, God brings us all into his family, right? Um, complaining these tax collectors and sinners were coming to Jesus to listen to what he had to say. Effectively, the religious elite of this time were up in their feelings because they saw Jesus surrounded by people who they had already decided didn't belong at the table. And they were disgusted that Jesus was even giving them the time of day. 
Jesus was already telling people around him the importance of consistent choosing of the Father daily versus valuing these temporary earthly rewards and status. Um, Earlier in the book of Luke, in chapter 9, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says this. Then he said to them all, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? Daily denial, daily submission, a daily choice to value the relationship that an apprentice of Jesus has with their Savior and their status as a child of God. The treasure is in the reality of that relationship. Even in the parable, the father makes mention that everything he has belongs to the older brother because of their consistent relationship as family. Pursuing, growing, and cultivating your relationship and standing as a child of God is so important to making sure your perspective stays on a father-centered mindset rather than a mindset on the property, on the inheritance, on the gifts rather than the giver. If we lose or miss the primary importance of the relationship for the sake of gaining status, success, reputation, wealth, whatever it may be around us, we've missed the point. Uh, N.T. Wright, he's he's a research professor at University of St. Andrews, he wrote the following about this. They were so focused on the wickedness of the tax collectors and sinners and of Jesus himself for daring to eat with them despite claiming to be a prophet of God's, a prophet of God's kingdom that they couldn't see the sunlight sparking through the fresh spring leaves of God's love. Here were all these people being changed, being healed, having their lives transformed physically, emotionally, morally, and spiritually, and the grumblers could only see litter, the human garbage they normally despised and avoided. We have seen the heart of each of these brothers, the hearts of these two lost sons. But to really grasp what's going on in this parable, about all three parables in the chapter, we must look at the heart of the father. And we must, and we, what we discover is beautiful and humbling. We see a father here who is giving, even when it is sacrificial and painful for him to do so. When the son, the younger brother, asks for his share of the inheritance, two things are taking place. Uh, one, in order to give his son his promised share, you know, there's no insurance check for him to cut him uh, in this situation. Um, the means by which wealth would be distributed after the passing of a patriarch would concern his land. So for the prodigal son to demand his inheritance forces the hand of the father to sell off part of the land that's still viable to the family. Additionally, the subtext here that in his haste to get his inheritance early, the prodigal son is effectively telling his father, you're dead to me and I'm dead to you. When the prodigal returns, the father has every right to cast judgment, to send him away. But not only is he approachable and gracious to his son, he meets his son out in the road giving us the impression that the father had been seeking his son for quite some time after he left. He allows the son to confess and to be accountable to his sin, but immediately exceeds the expectations of the prodigal son by welcoming him back as a child and not as a worker or a servant. The father gave the prodigal son what he asked for in the beginning. He never stopped loving him 
and gave him even more in restoration once they were reconciled to one another. Which brings us to our third and final observation today. Even when we choose ourselves, the Father chooses us. We see how the Father pursues, loves, and restores the prodigal son, but he offers grace to the older brother as well. The older brother is up to his neck and choosing himself. Um, He hears that party going on, and he refuses to attend. A celebration of this magnitude, by the way, would extend beyond the family on the land. So I'm sure neighbors are probably there, community, they probably have a bounce house or something going on. It's it's a big deal, right? Um, The older brother's protest, though, would likely be a source of awkwardness and embarrassment for the family. The older brother feels entitled and owed to uh, material possessions and celebration because he's been keeping the law and keeping the rules. But the father doesn't throw parties for doing what you're supposed to do. The father does not throw parties for doing what you're supposed to do. Many people see the Bible as this book of rules to be followed, as guide to moral living and nothing more, or they see heaven as this prize to be won. But like the older brother in this parable, they're missing the point. Our Father doesn't give out rewards for good behavior. The reward is our relationship. The Father in this parable is celebrating because his Son, by returning to the family, has passed from death into life again. Rising from the dead, that's a cause worth celebrating. But the older brother refuses to see this, and he makes it personal. For the remainder of this parable, every other speaking character in this story refers to the prodigal as a member of the family again, with one exception, the older brother. Instead of calling him a brother, he refers to the prodigal while speaking to his father as your son, which I'm sure any of you who are parents might have had a moment where you look at your spouse and say, that's your child. <laughs> um, which really struck that chord in reading the older brother. He wanted no association with his younger brother even upon his return. He has no intentions of communicating that his younger brother belongs to the family once again. And the level of confrontation he takes with his father in his anger and jealousy is totally uncalled for and out of line. The older brother thinks that he's earned the right to speak in judgment and make decisions on what's best for the estate. Now, that would all be enough reason to justify the father giving a harsh rebuke to his oldest son, but that's not what happens here. When the older brother chooses himself, the father still chooses and pursues the older brother. He's not steamrolled by his son's anger, but he does give his son a voice and an arena to speak his heart, corrupted as it is. Once he's said his peace, the father gently reminds the older brother that this returned son is indeed his brother. He reminds the older brother that due to the older brother's faithfulness, he's always been with the father and he already has access to all that he needs. And in the midst of all this, the father still pleads with the older brother to come into the party, to be a part of the family, to be a son. Why? The same reason that the father was so easily accepting of the prodigal son upon his return, because he's a son too. And the highest priority for rejoicing and celebrating for the father is having his sons. Not his land, not his fattest calf, not his fancy robes, not his rings or his sandals or his reputation. It's having the relationship, 
that is closest to the Father's heart. Now, uh, I told you I was going to make a movie reference at the beginning. It's time. Hope you have your popcorn and you're ready. Um, it's not going to be as great as I'm building it up to be. Sorry. Um, it's been a while since I've seen this movie, but a film that's close to my heart came out in like 1994 or so, Forrest Gump. You may have heard of it. Um, it's been a minute, but it's uh, timeless. Um, anyway, let me talk about that for a moment. This is a story about a guy who grows up uh, and, he's, and, and his whole life he's overcoming a lot of obstacles when he's been underestimated and he develops this unique perspective on the world around him due to the various relationships he has with different people. Um, the one relationship he threat, he has, one relationship threat excuse me, that he has through the entire film is his childhood sweetheart, uh, this girl named Jenny. And in her own way, had also had a lot of obstacles in her own life, uh, some a lot more tragic. And while she seems to be fond of Forrest, she always keeps him at arm's length and has a tendency to abandon him repeatedly. Um, but it never changes his love for her, and he's patient and long-suffering with her. Um, at one point in the film, she just point blank, point blank asks him, why are you so good to me? And his response is just so, so beautiful in its simplicity. And it reminds me of the father in this story and the heavenly father that we have here. He just looks at her and he says, well, you're my girl. As if to say, why are you pretending that there's any other option but me loving you? We are created by a Heavenly Father who operates as if there was no other intended option but to love us and would rejoice and celebrate when we choose him as he's chosen us. That we would be the children of God, that we would live in that reality by putting our faith in Jesus and allowing ourselves to be transformed by that, not just now, but daily. Even when we're caught up in ourselves, our Father, who longs to have us reconciled to him, is pursuing us. The Father is choosing you, pursuing you. So here's, here's a couple of questions. Would you choose yourself or choose to become a child of the Father? Are you afraid that you've spent all the goodwill you have and you're no longer worthy to sit at the table? Or in spending time in this parable today, have you discovered that you've been focusing on what you feel is owed to you simply because you're following the rules? Today, after our service, uh, we're going to celebrate a couple of members of our family here at Granada Hills through baptism. Two people who were dead, but they're alive. The Father has given us a reason to celebrate today, and we plan on doing just that. But before we do, before we rejoice, we want to remember. So, remembering what made our membership in this family possible. We remember the sacrifice of Jesus through the taking of communion together. The act of, the act of observing communion is something that we reserve uh, for those who consider themselves apprentices of Jesus and have made that commitment to following him. Uh, if you're still working that out and still have questions, uh, that's okay. And we're here for you while you journey through that. Um, I want to encourage you, though, though um, after we start communion, we'll have people on each side of the building, uh, side of the room, sorry, uh, who are willing and available to pray with you for any needs that you might have. 
and whatever you might be wrestling with, um, and they'll be here for you today. And uh, after I pray, in closing today, uh, I encourage those of you who are participating in our communion today to take it in community with one another. Um, pray together as you remember that you're worthy to be called a child of God because Jesus was worthy to save us and provide us a seat at the Father's table. Let's pray. Lord, man, I, uh, I feel like the prodigal a lot. I feel like him when he says, I don't feel worthy to be called your son. And it is overwhelming to be in your word and realize as soon as that comes out of our mouths, you're willing to shut that down and bring us right into the family, that you love us that much. That you know our strengths and weaknesses, you know where we failed, you know where we do well. But you have that relationship open for us, ready for us, and you welcome us in. You give us all that we need, and you teach us to celebrate with all that we've got, with the best that we have, anytime someone comes home. Lord, help us never to lose the heart for, for, the, for, the, year, for the weeks and years that pass as we walk with you, God. Let us never lose heart in celebrating every single time, just like you do in heaven along with you when someone comes home. Give us a heart for the people who are new to the table. Give us a heart to pursue those who are hurting and in need the way you've pursued us. Help us to be like you, Lord, that we can love others the way that you loved us, and the celebration just keeps on going. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all that you give us, all that you've always given us. We see that, we recognize that, we're grateful for that. And we long and look forward to celebrating today one more time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are Sundays at 10 a.m. and we're located at 11011 Havenhurst Avenue in Granada Hills. Find us on Instagram at StoryCityGH or online at StoryCityChurch.com. Go and be the church.